Welcome once again to the Kyber Pass podcast where we bring you each week conversation with improvising musicians that have played on our Thursday night series. This episode, we bring you Curtis Wenzel. Trumpet, cornet, electronics. He was in combo with his group Visitor and were lucky enough that he sat down with me to converse a bit about his origins and beginnings dating back in time to the late 1960s in St. Paul, Minnesota of all places at all times You'll hear from him. As always, this podcast is made possible by the loving support of the Kyber Pass Cafe on Grand Avenue. Voted number one Middle Eastern restaurant for 2019. I am your host, Paul Metzger. And so, I present to you our, what I believe to be our 35th interview. With Curtis Wenzel.
Wenzel, thank you so much for sitting down with me for some podcast time before your performance tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to have you. So, uh, your playing history goes back 50 years, approximately. Almost 50 years for me. Mm -hmm. Um the drummer in our band, or the main drummer, mm -hmm. um, 
started playing outside music in 67, 68, mm -hmm. okay. and formed a band called Dog Pound. Uh -huh. um, I started playing outside music in a little... Um, jam situation with uh, a guy I was in high school with. Mm -hmm. um, was that in the Twin Cities? Yeah, or yeah, in St. Paul. We're, I mean, there's a real scene from back in the early 70s of St. Paul uh, improvised music, mm -hmm. and it's kind of distinctive from uh, the Minneapolis guys. And, uh, How so? What do you? What do you well, you know, there feeling? was there was Dog Pound, which mm -hmm. later became Onum. There was Tony Marino and Panorama Milky Way. There was um, Reykjavik Gold. Um, John Clegg. Do you know John Clegg? Do you remember him at all? I don't know that name. Okay, but so John Clegg uh, was like. Shit. You know, he's a slightly older guy and had a huge jazz collection and really knew the music as a as a music aficionado. Okay. And then became a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just all this opportunity to mm -hmm. to meet people and stuff that were surprisingly conversant with who. Ornette Coleman was, yeah, you know, yeah. or you could drive down the street of downtown St. Paul uh, with with John Clegg and uh, have Albert Eiler, you know, terrifying the citizenry on the sidewalk as you drove by, yeah, uh, on the speaker. So yeah, yeah, I, I dig. It was just a, it was just a scene, you know, mm -hmm. it was a scene. So what about for? Uh, performance so I that's always the trick isn't it like well you know I, when I was young mm -hmm. it was pretty I, I was surprised at the opportunities I got okay because I just improvised with my buddy that I was in a rock band with and mm -hmm. uh, Bob Ogren and um, listened to a hell of a lot of Pharaoh and train and Mm -hmm. You know, everybody, but... Yeah. And, um... So at that time, what was your instrument? I was playing, playing... I was playing cornet and clarinet. Okay. Um, and that's, like, Dave Scher, who's one of the Onum guys. All right. Um, he was the first guy I ever saw playing bass clarinet oh man okay and and yeah. like that's a big deal when you first see that at least for me it was and yeah I and for you i'd too. been playing trumpet all through my childhood yeah but i heard him play that bass clarinet and i was like i gotta i gotta get one of those yeah. you know but i ended up playing b flat yeah stuff and then so bobby and i got gigs we did a really early gig, like in '71 or something, mm -hmm. at Walker Art Center, uh, in a dance performance. Oh. And 
you know, it was reviewed in the paper, and they said, well, the dance kind of sucked, but the music was really good, you know, so... No shit. Yeah, I felt really encouraged, and I thought, this is it. And the and the dancers killed themselves after <laughs> no, the review. No, the, the dancers were fine, <laughs> um, but, um, but uh, you know, so I had that opportunity early like that, and... That's crazy, yeah. Um, at the same time... Kimmel was doing Whole Earth Rainbow Band, and he was working for the Nancy Hauser Dance Company. Mm -hmm. The dancers I had performed with were from the Nancy Hauser Dance Company, and Kimmel Kimmel just went, "Come on in, goddamn, come on in." Got me a, a gig playing for dance rehearsals, you know, at seven thirty in the morning. Um, that's a great gig, man. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. And I thought, this is it, man. Yeah. I'm cool. I'm officially cool yeah, now. You know? Yeah, I would count that. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, through that, the composer Hiram Titus, who was at Children's Theater at the time, okay. hired me and I think Bob Ogren and then Milo, and I've I'd only ever seen um, uh, Blue Freedom with Milo and Joe and Rick, and um, to me Milo was like you know that's the guy. He's the guy doing it here, you know. And so that would have been what year in the early seventies? Seventy one, seventy one, seventy two, maybe. I mean, he's still the fucking guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's Miles. Yeah. So, but. When I played with with Milo, I played trumpet and mm -hmm. percussion and uh, and clarinet on that gig at Walker, and you know the guy, the composer was just looking for guys that were doing some new thing, and so mm -hmm. it wasn't it didn't hang together all that well, but it started a relationship with Miles, so you know. We started jamming together and stuff, and then when Blue Freedom broke up, he had his group with Tony and Mark Maestrovich, Tony Cox and Mark Maestrovich, and then... Mm. Was that Charcoal at that time, or was that something else? I don't remember what he okay. called it. He might have right. just called it Mila Fine Free Jazz Ensemble. Yeah. But when that band dissolved, mm. uh, then Milo started playing with me, and... Scott Newell and Steve Janitka. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so in 74, I did an album with Milo. It was the second uh, She She, however it's pronounced, mm -hmm. record. Was that on Hat Hut? No, it was his Milo's own Oh, that was label. his own imprint, yeah. He, he, yeah. It was the second album after the first album, which was Blue Freedom. Oh, yeah, okay. So anyhow, it, it just seemed like falling off a log because really mm -hmm. it was falling off a log because had so much opportunity to play with so many different people mm -hmm. who all were pretty much oriented in the same direction um and what a difference that makes is having a, an institution like the walker arts center being open and encouraging what's happening locally what's exciting musically and through dance yeah well in i think the local I space think it had to do 
has to do with the culture at the time, which mm -hmm. was so wide open. I mean, that's partially why I've come back to playing because, mm -hmm. you know, in the late 60s and early 70s, things were so upsetting at every moment, it totally made sense to blow your face off on yeah. a horn. And, and it's like that now. Yeah. And um, those are opportunities to get in touch with some of the deeper parts of yourself, I think. God damn. I love that. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's heavy, blessing. but I love it. You it's know? a blessing to be able to just, like, live in the moment. Mm hmm You know, not have to be on a samadhi cushion. <laughs> yeah. But be expressing yourself. Yeah. Not, I, nothing wrong with samadhi cushions. Don't get me wrong. I don't even know what that is. It's so like a meditation. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. yeah okay. I yeah, know what yeah. that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, in a lot of ways, uh, the practice of being a musician, for some people, of which I include myself, is a meditation. There is so many. There are so many elements of it that are right in line with like a Buddhist meditative practice. Yeah. And well, just being in the present moment and that's mm -hmm. what's so cool about free improvisation because mm -hmm. you it really requires that you inhabit that sound space yeah. right when it's happening, right at the crest of time. Yeah. That's how I always picture it, like yeah. time moving like a wave. And you need to be right there. Yeah. And uh, it feels good. Yeah, it feel it's a it's and intoxicating. It's, it's like that for everybody who plays music. It's Not amazing. just our kind of music. Right. It it's like that for freaking Taylor Swift even. I, I assume. Yeah. So I'm just saying that's 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 something worth tapping into, you know. Yeah. I, I don't really consider myself a musician because I, you know, I've just always played music, but I'm mm -hmm. not, you know, I don't play notated music. I, mm -hmm. did, uh, you, did you ever? I did, I mm -hmm. did, and uh, read music uh, to a limited extent. I mean, I knew how to play trumpet charts, you know, and stuff like that, but... To the point of, just to tap on that, because we get so many different kind of histories through the Kyber here. And, yeah. Uh, so was it a thing like uh, a, like a standard kind of chart where you have the lead and then chord yeah, yeah. things over it? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what just you a little band stuff, on a little though. bit. Yeah. yeah, just, I mean, nothing... Nothing serious. By the time I was old enough to get serious, the thing I was serious about was free improvisation. Right. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. And so um, that's really what I concentrated on. But mm -hmm. I lost faith with free improvisation. I mean, I... Tell me about that. You lost faith. Like... Well, you know, when you're young mm -hmm. and in your 20s and things are happening and it's very exciting and it's, you don't really know yourself and so I didn't know my vulnerabilities very well at that time so playing with Milo was a real test of one's 
uh, confidence and fortitude. Absolutely. And um, so, but also I had this this need for um, approval, mm. and that was you know immature and and <coughs> unsatisfying. So when Milo mm-hmm. retired the Milo Fine Free Jazz Ensemble for five months or something, and then mm-hmm. came back with the Milo Fine Free Jazz Ensemble without me, uh-huh. I I was traumatized. I was I was I very you. embittered by that, and uh, and it's only through growing up and getting old and realizing, you know, that was. That was my problem, not Miles' problem. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, and so I, I, I was more at a distance, and that's I started writing about jazz then. And I, okay. Um, one of the things that really got to me was Miles came back, and uh, and I think his first gig coming back was. Opening for Anthony Braxton God damn. at the hole, and Anthony Braxton was like, I I was so seriously into Anthony Braxton. I mean, to me, when I heard for for alto, mm-hmm. it was just like, okay, this is what's happening, and I yeah. got to find out about it. So when Miles got the gig with Anthony, and I was out of the band, I was so pissed off yeah. that I I was motivated to get an interview with Anthony and I started writing for the local giveaway papers. God damn. Doing jazz jazz interviews and so, stuff. So at that time that would be what like a uh, sweet potato? Yep. Or was it before? I started at the Reader. Okay. And then all the cool people who were at the Reader went to Sweet Potato. Mhm. And I I went along. And um, and so you were doing like live and album review work for them. I did or? some album review stuff, and I mm-hmm. did some concert reviews, but I really concentrated on interviewing primarily. So I got to interview yeah. everybody. I mean, it's again. Let me hear some of the the oh, ones that you dug. Uh, Sun Ra. I think I interviewed him twice. God damn. Um, it was so great because he was like, he, I think he was at that little hotel across from the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. There's okay. that little kind of yeah, yeah, I know cruddy that. hotel. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's nice cruddy though. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm interviewing him and June is bringing him tea and oh, take man, care of him on. and just like you know, and you must have been just knocked out being able to ask questions of people that. Were, yeah, well, were the I was scared shit. most of the time. I mean, uh-huh. I had Teddy Wilson start asking me, you know, musical questions and oh. you know, very simple, basic stuff. And when I couldn't answer, he said, "You should write about something you know about." Oh. You know? He did it like that. Yeah. I said, well, uh, this is the Twin Cities. Uh, the truth is you're lucky to be talking to me and not somebody from one of the regular papers here. Yeah. Because they're squares, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, I 
pushed another whiskey. That was pretty. That's a pretty nice way to stand. And well, I was a kid. Let, let, yeah, that's a cool stance, though, man. I was a kid. I wasn't like that. Well, he'd that's been great. he'd been feeding me shots of whiskey too. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was maybe yeah. emboldened. But oh, anyhow, so that at that time you're maybe less performing, and you got. Into I quit performing. I quit performing. I stopped believing in um, what I was doing and what mm -hmm. Milo was doing and the whole scene. Mm -hmm. um, I really got caught up in uh, uh, musicianship mm -hmm. and um, expertise and, yeah. you know, extreme uh, talent and artistry. Well, are you at that time given up on playing or are you still developing I played I've never stopped yeah. playing I always played but I didn't play with people anymore right right and that, that was because of my my own psychology because mm -hmm. I was traumatized by the Milo thing because yeah. I was in love with that band man yeah. we were we were incredible yeah there were so many cool people that came through that unit mm -hmm. um and Elliot was alive, and Elliot would come to concerts, and yeah. you know, it was nice. Yeah, it was nice. It was. Yeah, you dug it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then you pulled out, worked on writing. Yeah, and I just interviewing totally... and and woodshedding your shit all the while. Well, I wouldn't call it woodshedding. Yeah. I, what I would call it is like. Um, folk music. Okay. Sustaining you. Okay. You know what I mean. I think I'm not what you mean. that much different mm -hmm. from from playing a banjo or mm -hmm. sitting at a piano and singing barrel house blues or something like that. Okay. Um, you know, it was just it was for me. Right. And I played um, a variety of instruments mm -hmm. and wrote tunes and stuff like that. Dig. But. Uh, didn't but want to solo get in your own thing. Right, because I, I didn't believe in it anymore. I believed, mm. like, I'm going to be a writer, and that's how I'm going to do. And I, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. But enough about me. The band... <laughs> All right, man. The band has kind of a similar story, because... Um, now, we you're talking about the combo you're playing with tonight called yeah. Visitor. Visitor, uh -huh. with Tim Kane. And uh, Keith Miller. Tim was part of Onum back in the day, mm -hmm. and uh, Dog Pound, and you know they they studied with the Art Ensemble and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, and they were just cool cool dudes. And uh, but Tim, uh, you know, created a family life and you know helped run a restaurant, and mm -hmm. that's been his his way to pay the bills and mm -hmm. live his life mm -hmm. but he always played and but he always played in ensembles he yeah. didn't he didn't give up on playing in ensembles and um and though he didn't pursue it as um uh, a career move mm -hmm. um he consistently played and grew and grew and grew and um keith also, he'd been playing since he was 16 or something. Mm -hmm. um, 
and he was in Reykjavik Gold with Scott Newell and um, some other folks. I can't remember all the players now. Mm-hmm. And they they were like from Maplewood. Oh God, yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, um, but Keith. You know, he became a, a chemical engineer at 3M mm-hmm. and an environmental engineer and stuff and mm-hmm. raised a family, lived a life. So then how does that turn into visitor then? Because these are cats you kind of come up, you came up with and alongside of and yeah, uh, through the late 60s, early 70s, and you pull out right of performance and how does... And that's kind of all these guys went into their lives. Right. Similar. And I don't really know how much playing Keith did in in that period of mm-hmm. raising a family and being a career dude. Mm-hmm. I think he um, poddled around on drums and tuba, mm-hmm. but didn't, you know, play anymore. He didn't have time right. to really dedicate himself to it because he was doing sustaining money earning you know Mm -hmm. um but when i moved back here from la Mm -hmm. tim was always saying come on kurt come on let's just play there it is yeah and i was like i you know i don't do that anymore he's like yeah you do Yeah, yeah you do so he really made it in the realm of possibility. He wore you down. He did. And, <laughs> and, and all it took was like one session yeah. with him. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with Timmy. And then Keith retired. Uh-huh. And Tim, Tim's wife ran into Keith's wife at their restaurant. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Tim said, should we ask Keith to play? And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tim and I had been playing about a year, and then mm-hmm. Keith Keith joined. And, and when is this happening? This is a- Well, Tim and I started playing together hmm, when Trump announced he was running for president. That was a big yeah. impetus for me. I, mm-hmm. It wasn't for those guys, but for yeah. me it was like... You know, I, I gotta do something spiritual mm-hmm. that is alive and happening in my life mm-hmm. because this is unendurable. I mean, I have a kid with a disability, and mm-hmm. f- first thing Trump is doing is making fun of disabled people and stuff. I was yeah. like, I gotta do something for my soul. Yeah. to survive this, but also to resist this. Yeah. But that's me. So that was my impetus. Mm-hmm. Tim, he's an artist. He's a painter and a, and a player. And he's deeply dedicated to living that kind of life and has mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. consistently. Mm-hmm. Keith is a, a Buddhist and yeah. um, very intelligent person and his attitude towards playing is very different than mine because mm-hmm. he's more into the mastery and, um, you know, more straight mm-hmm. kind of considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
we just came together and we've been doing it and I like what we do. Solid, yeah. You and know, I like to listen to it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I'm looking forward for a chance to hear y'all, and I'm real glad you reached out uh, looking for a gig and that we could find a spot for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. And yeah. not too many people go back to that era of St. Paul, you know, and then it's cool to have you back in the... In yeah, the well, performance side of things, for is there, as always, <laughs> there's a limited but passionate audience for right. free improvisation. Right. Where you have, uh, uh, there are very few with a glancing interest <laughs> in it. People that are into it are kind of all in. That's, I, li- I like that's, that about that's it. That's true, that's mm-hmm. true. But, you know, I, I just find... You know, I have virtually no musical opinions anymore. <laughs> yeah, you do. I really, I think it's glorious that people play music. Yeah. Of any kind. I Like, if they're just humming. Mm-hmm. Um, or beating on their steering wheel, yeah. you know. Well, let me ask you this on that, because I hear you, right? But I tend to think, most people have so there's some musical form or something that they just can't abide like you know what i'm saying for me it's klezmer (laughs) i'm not real fond of klezmer i can't get to that (laughs) if i hear it i just want to turn it off that's my the only way that it moves me is toward God. Yeah, but that's but that's like Do you that's know what not I mean? a judgment of the music. That's a matter of your taste. Like, yeah, I yeah, mean, I it's, hear it, you. it's it's like that music isn't for me. I respect their right to exist. Exactly, but I can't hear that. So I ju- I'm I judge it as being something I can't I can't have. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I was talking to an empresario lately, and he. Uh, what? What empresario? I like. I'd like to say, meet one. I nah. love empresarios. All right, go ahead. Um, and he and uh, we we're at dinner, and he was like, and I was saying this thing of like, sure. all music is is valuable and important mm-hmm. and worthwhile, yeah. and you know, I I don't have an opinion. He's like, yeah. What about Nickelback? You like Nickelback? <laughs> and I'm like. I'm not against Nickelback, uh, but I don't recall ever hearing Nickelback. I mean, yeah. that's not something I would yeah. seek out. Yeah. And so then how can I put it down? Yeah. I maybe, can't put it down. I don't maybe care. Maybe somebody plays a little bit of it for you. Little, yeah. little well, touch. I'll probably and then, reach and turn yeah. off, but yeah. who knows? It's, I know what you're saying, though, because it's all beautiful. And even, like you mentioned earlier, like Taylor Swift. Within what she's doing, I met you imagined uh, that's a meditative experience for her, right? Uh, and transcendent, yeah, a transcendent experience. And I don't know what her music is personally, but it doesn't matter, right? No, because I think according to if I'm understanding you. Because that's something that's happening, and that's a beautiful thing. Exactly. All right. Exactly. It, it's a yeah. generosity of hum, human spirit 
to have mm-hmm. that exchange. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all messed up by monetization and mm-hmm. business interests and mm-hmm. how this stuff has turned out in Western society and so forth, but yeah. that's why you play free music. God damn. You know? All right, we're going to end it there, Kurt. Thanks, that was, man. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And so, once again, we have attained terminus together. Through the wires and atmospheres, the electrons and waveforms. Thank you for listening. This week we had Curtis Wenzel, Trumpet and Electronics. He came with his combo Visitor, a trio featuring Timothy Kane, drums, woodwinds. Keith Miller, tuba and drums. Dating back together some 50 years ago shaped by the 1960s free jazz as well as the implications of composers like John Cage, Ornette Coleman and Captain Beefheart. I've been your host, Paul Metzger, and until next time, 